All right, so we're finishing up Philippians today, if you can believe that. Uh, we've been in Philippians, I looked at my notes, we've been in Philippians since last August. I was shocked to find that out. Uh, but nevertheless, that wasn't the plan when we started, but as we've walked through it these several months, uh, the Lord has just breathed on it and given us so much strength and spiritual encouragement And so we're finishing it up today. We're finishing up the book of Philippians. And so that leads us into next Sunday. So what what are we starting next Sunday? Well, I'm starting a new series next Sunday uh, for the summer, a summer series, and you're not going to want to miss it. Uh, Over the summer, we're going to be tackling uh, the controversial social issues of our day. So we're going to be seeing what does the Bible have to say about these things. And so we're going to be, over the next few weeks of the summer, looking at what the Bible has to say about abortion, gender identity, sexuality, homosexuality, secularism, humanism, evolution, racism, and a whole bunch of other topics that seem to be dominating our society today. And we're not going to be looking at it from the perspective of the left or the right, but we're looking at it from the perspective of what's come down from heaven And that's what God's Word says. That's the issue. And so let me encourage you to be uh, out next week as we kick off this series. It's really going to set our summer up for us. And let me also just encourage you, all of you who are here as we're heading into summer, in the church world, uh, pastors talk amongst each other, and we have a phrase for the summer called the summer slump. I don't know if you knew that. But pastors talk about this, the summer slump. And that's where everyone kind of gets in the summer mood and the spiritual life of the church tends to sag a little bit, uh, slump a little bit, get a little flabby a little bit. And I just want to encourage you as a church, uh, let us make a commitment in each of our hearts and in our families to grow in our faith this summer. To make this summer a season that we don't fall off from our walk with the Lord, but one that we increase our walk with the Lord. And so that we would not have a summer slump, but a summer bump. How about that? A summer bump. So I want to encourage you to make a greater commitment to the things of God over the summer, to make a greater commitment to, to pray for revival in your hearts as, as we head into the summer. You know, our nation needs revival. Our communities need revival. That's what we need. We need a sovereign move of God. That's what we need. And guess, guess what? Amen. Amen. Guess where revival starts? It starts at the church. Revival is God's people being turned back to God. It's God's people being filled with the fire of God. It starts with us. And so let me encourage you to make a greater commitment to the things of God this summer. So what, what does that look like? Well, I would say if you are in town, that you make a commitment to be in God's house on Sunday, if you're in town. Now, I know many of us travel, go on vacation, things like that. I think it's good to do that, make memories as a family. But if you are in town, make a commitment to be in church that Sunday. Does that sound good? All right. Now, if that's already your commitment, you say, I'm already committed to that. Well, 
Let's take that to the next level. Let's make a commitment to be at church on Sunday evenings. All right, all right. You say, I'm already committed to that. That, that, that. That's not increasing my commitment whatsoever. Well, if that's the case, maybe look at getting involved in a community group this summer. Man, the, I don't know if you noticed, but the, the amens are tapering off. Or, or increase your daily prayer time and your devotion time with the Lord or your, your time of worship as a family. Let, let's, let's endeavor to turn up our temperature for the Lord this summer. I know we're turning down the temperature in our houses because it's 600 and million degrees outside. Nevertheless, let's also not become lethargic in our faith. I know the heat can kind of beat us down but let us stay hot for the Lord this summer. Amen. Amen. So Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 10. I know we covered verses 10 through 13 last week, but they really continue on, or verses 14, and as we're moving forward, uh, this week uh, builds off of what we looked at last week. So I want to read it just for the context this morning. So we'll read Philippians uh, chapter 4, starting in verse 10 through the end of the book. Paul writing, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia... No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus the brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Father, we thank you for your word. Speak to our hearts today. Lord, as we look at this offering that, that the Philippians gave to Paul, as we look at their sacrificial generosity, Lord, that you would spur and stir our hearts Lord, to also uh, live in a, a way that is generous. Lord, that you would stir our hearts to uh, not just be recipients of your grace and of your mercy and the blessings that you've poured out in our lives, but Lord, that we would be uh, extenders of that grace and that mercy 
and those blessings. Lord, that your blessing would not only flow to us, but that your blessing would flow through us. And so, Lord, help us as we spend time in your word. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, if you'll recall, Paul is writing from prison in Rome. He's been in prison there for about two years. He's been in prison for a total of about four years. He was shipped around as a prisoner from from town to town, first in Jerusalem, then in Caesarea Philippi, then put on a ship to be sent to Rome. He he crashed. He, He wasn't he wasn't sailing the ship. He was a prisoner on the ship, but his ship crashed. He was involved in a shipwreck. He was marooned on the island of Malta for three months and got on another ship and finally made it to Rome where he's been waiting to go on trial for another two years. And so Paul originally had planted this church in Philippi. He had gone there on his second missionary journey. He had preached the gospel to a group of ladies who had gathered for prayer The Lord had opened their hearts to receive the gospel, and that church was started there through the miraculous power of God in the preaching of the gospel. And as Paul left Philippi, he was run out of town by the magistrates after he had set a slave girl free from demonic oppression. They weren't happy about that, so they kicked him out of town. Paul went to Thessalonica, but immediately the Philippians started supporting Paul in his ministry. And it tells us, Paul tells us that they were the only church who stood by him. Of all of the churches that Paul planted in Ephesus, in Galatia, in Corinth, of all of the places that he went, of all of the churches he planted, Thessalonica, all of these places that he had poured out his life, these people had become believers in Christ through his ministry, their eternal destinies forever changed because of the sacrifice that he made of all of those churches that he started. Only one began to support him. Only one began to to be one who met his financial needs. And so through the course of time, they had lost touch with Paul. It's been about 10 years uh, from the time that he had planted the church to the time that he's writing the letter. A lot has happened He fell off the map for a while, and they lost track of him. And so now they find out that he's in Rome, that he's in prison. And so they again, once again, stir themselves up and raise an offering in the church. And they put it in the hands of one of their members, a man named Epaphroditus. And they send him on the trip to deliver it to Paul, who was still in prison in Rome. And so Paul writes Philippians. Philippians is a thank you letter, a thank you note thanking them for their generosity, thanking them for the way that they have supported him through the years. And so what we see in this passage, and we'll look at here in detail today, is that sacrificial generosity produces three things. Sacrificial generosity produces three things. It produces joy. It produces good fruit for the kingdom of God. And it produces God's blessing in our lives. Sacrificial generosity produces joy, fruit, and blessing. You'll notice in verse 18 that he calls their their offering that they sent, he calls it a fragrant 
offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. When he uses this language, he's using Old Testament language. He's using the Old Testament language of the tabernacle, of the offerings that would be given there. You know, all of the sacrifices in the Old Testament tabernacle, all of them were not atonement offerings. All of the offerings were not sin offerings. In fact, there were many offerings that had nothing to do with sin, but only had to do with people wanting to worship God, with people wanting to, to, to thank God and, and, and to bring back to God part of the blessing that he had given them. And so Paul roots what the Philippians are doing in this long heritage of the, the Old Testament tabernacle and all of the sacrifices and the worship that would happen there, Paul says that what they have done is just like the Old Testament saints were doing in the tabernacle. And he says that it was a sacrifice that they gave sacrificially, not simply out of their abundance, but they gave even to the point where it cost them something. They gave to the point when something is a sacrifice, it means you're saying no to something so that you can say yes to this offering. That's the kind of generosity that they had put on display. And so as we move through this today, looking at joy and fruit and blessing, the results of sacrificial generosity, I know that I am preaching to the choir today because Destiny Church is one of the most generous churches on the planet. I mean, Destiny Church, you are a sacrificially generous church. And so I'm preaching to the choir today. I know that. But nevertheless, I want to stir your heart to, to even grow even more in this issue of stewardship and generosity today. Amen. So the first thing, sacrificial generosity produces joy. And we see that in verse 10. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. This offering, this, this sacrifice of generosity, when, when it came to Paul through the hands of Epaphroditus, it produced joy in Paul's life. And we see that when, when, we, are, when we likewise are generous, it produces joy. One of the results of generosity is joy. If, if you look at the opposite of generosity, of, of holding on, of being stingy, of, of being a bean counter, of being a tit-for-tat kind of guy, man, there's no joy in that. There's no joy in a relationship where everybody's keeping track of everything all the time. Have you ever been in a relationship like that? Where there's no, there's, it's all, some, the other person's just always counting. He's, they've always got a tally in their head. They're always trying to keep things even. There's no joy in that. But man, a relationship where both sides are just sacrificially generous to one another out of an expression of love, and it's, it's not I'm keeping track and you're keeping track and it's your turn and it's my turn, but no, we model Christ by sacrificially laying down our lives and being generous with one another. Man, there is so much joy in that kind of a relationship. And guess what? It has to start with somebody. Somebody. 
It has to start with somebody. Let it start with us. Let, let us be the first ones that take those steps of sacrificial generosity. You know, Paul was in prison in Rome. He had been in prison for four years. He had been in prison in Rome for two years. He was forgotten. People didn't know where he was at for a series of, a, a season of time. It wasn't like today where he could just post on Facebook, you know, in prison in Rome, feeling cute, you know, a little <laughs> selfie or something. Check out my new chains, you know. Like he's gothic or something, you know, I don't know. But anyway, uh, that's not how it worked. It, it took a long time for news to travel. It took a long time for the word to get out. And I have to imagine if I just put myself in Paul's shoes, you, you kind of start to feel forgotten. You kind of start to wonder, did, did any of it matter? All of the sacrifice, all of the pain, all of the effort that, that I went through and, and laid on the line for the, <coughs> excuse me, for the kingdom of God, did any of it matter? Did any of it produce any fruit? And then here one day, there's a knock on the door and there stands Epaphroditus. There stands Epaphroditus. <coughs> Excuse me. There stands Epaphroditus with this offering from the Philippian church. And think about how much joy that would bring into your heart. How much joy that would flood your soul. You know, the devil is a liar. I don't know if you know that. The devil is a liar. And he lies to us all the time. And so if he lies to us, you know he was lying to Paul, right? And how many lies of the enemy were immediately dispelled the moment Epaphroditus showed up with that offering? How many of the lies of the enemy immediately were proved false when Epaphroditus showed up? That's why Paul says, when I got the offering, I rejoiced to produce joy in my heart. It produces joy. You know, often my soul too has been refreshed as I have been reminded of God's faithfulness through, through the sacrificial generosity of others. Often my soul has been refreshed. How many of you, that's your testimony too? That your soul has been refreshed through the sacrificial generosity of others as it shows us and reminds us of God's faithfulness to us. It produces joy. The second thing it produces, sacrificial generosity, is it produces fruit, good fruit, for the kingdom of God. I'm going to have to put a Ricola in my mouth because I've got a tickle in my throat that will not go away. How many remember this commercial? Ricola. There we go.
This might be a good advertisement for them if this works. If it doesn't, should have used halls, I guess. All right. Sacrificial generosity produces fruit. Produces fruit. We see this in two verses in this passage. Verse 17, he says, I'm not seeking the gift from you, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. The fruit, I'm not after the gift, I'm after the fruit. In writing this letter and thanking you and being reminded of your your constant generosity through the years, I'm not sending you this letter asking for more generosity, but I do seek after, he says, the fruit, the fruit that increases to your credit. Later in verse 22, we see some of the fruit that he's talking about. As he says in his closing remarks, all of the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. As Paul had been in prison in Rome, under house arrest, chained to a Roman guard, he had begun to minister and to preach the gospel to his captive audience that he had captive for eight hours. They were on eight-hour shifts. And so every eight hours, a new Roman guard would come in. As that new Roman guard would come in, he would start preaching the gospel to them. And some of them had been converted to Christ, even of Caesar's own household. Now, we know the Caesar in Rome at this time is the emperor Nero, a very wicked and depraved man. He was known in his day as the beast. He was so wicked and depraved. The things that he did, you can go and read about them. I don't, I don't even want to, I can't even say what they were. They were so depraved. Yet in that household, that household of darkness, that household of evil, a light begins to shine forth. The gospel taking root, the gospel taking hold, the gospel penetrating the darkness. In John chapter 1, uh, it says that Jesus is the light that has come into the world and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome the light. And now a light has dawned even in one of the most darkest households on planet earth in Nero's household. That is the fruit, the fruit of the gospel. And he says that it is increasing to their credit. Now it's God's will, it's God's desire that we bear fruit. Jesus said it this way in John 15. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me or lives in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. He goes on to say later in the chapter, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. We didn't choose God, God chose us. And when God chose us, 
He also appointed us that we would go and bear much fruit, bear good fruit for his kingdom. And here Paul says that through their offering, there is fruit that is being produced. Fruit, they are producing fruit in Rome. He says it increases to your credit. Another translation, another way to translate this passage is to say that he seeks after the profit that accrues to their account. Profit that accrues to their account. This is incredible. What Paul is saying is by supporting his ministry, the Philippians are getting credit for his work. That's awesome. For the Philippians, what a great deal. You mean I don't have to go to prison? <laughs> I don't have to suffer shipwreck and persecution? All I have to do is support Paul and I share in the fruit of his labor and ministry? That's what Paul says. He says, I seek after the fruit that increases to your account, increases to your credit. So who is keeping track of this? Who is keeping accounts? It's God. God is the one. God is the one, the Bible says, who is a rewarder. God is keeping track in heaven of the, of the fruit that we produce in our lives. Did you know that? I don't know if you do that. God is, God is keeping tabs on the fruit that we produce in our lives. So 2 Corinthians Chapter 5, verse 10 says that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each will receive what, is, what he is due for what he has done in the body, whether they're good or evil. In 1 Corinthians three fourteen, it says that the, the fruit that we produce that's built on the foundation of Christ, if it remains, if it survives, if it continues that we will receive a reward for that. We will all stand before God one day. Amen. Now, as believers in Christ, who have had our sins forgiven, washed away, washed clean, we will not be judged for our sin. We're not going to be judged for our sin. That, that's the good news of the gospel. That G Jesus has paid the price. Jesus has endured the penalty that we were due because of our sin. So when, when we stand before God on the day of judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, we do not stand before him condemned in our sins. No, we stand before Christ clothed in his righteousness. And our lives are then judged for the rewards that we will receive. Rewards that we will receive and enjoy for all eternity. So I don't fear the return of the Lord. I, I look forward to the return of the Lord. I, I pray, Lord, hasten the day. Come back soon. But until that day, whether by the Lord's return or through, through my death, until that day, God's will for me is that I would be fruitful. Amen. 
He, he chose me and appointed me to bear much fruit. And one of the ways that I can bear good fruit is by being sacrificially generous with those who are doing the work of the kingdom of God. So by sowing into ministries and sowing into missionaries and to giving to people that are producing the fruit of the kingdom of God, it's laying up for myself treasure in heaven, which is what Jesus said to do. He says, don't lay up for yourselves treasure on earth that can be corrupted, that thieves can break in and steal, that the stock market can take a big dip and half of it can be wiped out in a moment. No, he says, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Well, how do I do that? How do I do that? I can't just make a deposit into heaven, can I? You can when you sow into the kingdom of God. When you follow the example of the Philippians and as they supported the ministry of a missionary who was going out and bearing much fruit for the kingdom of God. Sacrificial generosity produces eternal fruit, fruit that cannot rot, that does not fade away, that will last forever, rewards that we will enjoy on the day of Christ's return and for all eternity, fruit from the kingdom of God. One of the things that Doug reminds me of often is he reminds me that Destiny Church has fruit on the continent of Europe. We have fruit there, fruit for the kingdom of God. We do. Now, I've never been to Europe. Maybe I'll go one day. But he has been, they have been, and they have sowed, and they have labored, and they have toiled, and God has brought increase. God has brought fruit. And all of us who have given into that, guess what? This verse tells us that we share in that fruit, that some of that is credited to our account. Many of you have been down to Reynosa and, and seen the work that the Ashbys have done there in the Colonia, and, and, and many of you have gone. Uh, Justin Clark and the Tobars and Sil and Yoli and and so many of you have gone over the years and, and so, uh, labored and toiled there in that soil. And you have fruit there. There is fruit there. But even if you have not gone, if you have sown financially, if you have given sacrificially, you have fruit in that community. And you can have fruit over all the continents of the earth. I don't know if there's missionaries in Antarctica, but... Of all the other continents, you can have fruit. If you will sow and give sacrificially. And finally, thirdly, not only does sacrificial generosity produce joy and fruit for the kingdom of God, but it also produces blessing in our lives. Blessing in our lives. He says, verse 18, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. Verse 19, and as a result of this, 
My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. As we give sacrificially to the kingdom of God, God promises to supply all of our needs. That's good news. That's a great blessing. That's a great blessing. Now I have to draw your attention to the word needs. God does not promise to gratify all of our wishes or whims. God does not promise to meet all of our greeds. But all of our needs. And I have to be honest with you, God and I do not always agree on what goes in the needs column. <laughs> we don't always see eye to eye on what constitutes a need. Sometimes I probably have things in the needs column that really belong in the wants column. And we know that God knows what we need of more than we do. In fact, Jesus tells us God knows what we need before we even ask. He knows what we need. I also want you to notice that the promise, and this is a promise, and you need to hold on to this promise, of God supplying every need it does not mean that I will never be in need. The promise that God will supply every need, it does not mean that I will never be in need. As we have seen, Paul talked about, I have learned how to be brought low and how to abound. I have learned to be in need and I have learned to be content. So Paul knows and he's writing, it, it, God, the promise that God will supply every need, it doesn't mean that you will never be in need. But it does mean that God, in his perfect timing, will bring provision for that need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. The promise is not that we will never be in need, the promise is that he will meet our needs in Christ. Supply every need of yours, he says. But notice where the supply comes from. According to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus we need not look to anyone else but Christ to meet our needs. Christ is the one that meets our needs. Christ is the one who is our supply. Christ is the one that we look to, and he is the one who has promised to meet our needs. Christ, risen from the dead, ascended on high, seated at the right hand of God. He is the one ruling and reigning according to his riches in glory. There is no lack to God's supply. There is no lack to God's supply. Now, I do want to point out to you that this promise 
of God meeting their needs is in response to their sacrificial generosity. These two things are connected. They're not isolated from one another. You need to see that. You need to see that that there is no distance, there's no daylight between their generosity and God meeting their needs. These two things are connected. And this is not just a theme here in Philippians. Let me quickly read for you some Proverbs. Proverbs 11.24. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Verse 25. A generous person will prosper, and whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Proverbs 22.9, the generous themselves will be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. And then 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 really give a, a very whole, holistic uh, teaching on generosity. But 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6, Paul says this, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Christ in glory, risen, ruling, and reigning, promises to meet the needs of those who are sacrificially generous with what he has entrusted to them. They gave out of their poverty. However, Christ rewards them out of his riches. Now, let me be very clear. I'm not saying that we give to get. We do not give to get. Oh, God promises that if I will give, he'll return to me, pressed down, shaken together. I'll, I'll use this as some sort of pyramid scheme or something, and I'll give to get. No, that's not what he's talking about. Because if in my heart I am giving to getting, I am not giving sacrificially and I am not giving generously. In fact, I'm serving myself. But when there is selfless, sacrificial generosity on our part, produced through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we can be confident that God will supply every need of ours according to his riches and glory. When we don't give to get, but when we give generously, sacrificially, cheerfully, as the Bible says that God loves God promises to supply our needs. I love how he says, and my God will supply every need of yours. My God. Listen, Paul's God is my God too. That's the same God that I serve. The same God that Paul served that promised to meet every need of the Philippians is the same God that I serve. And so when I read through the Bible and I see how God blessed Abraham, I say, Abraham's God is my God. When I read through the Bible and see how God delivered Moses and the children of Israel from bondage, and I'm, I'm facing trial and hardship and whatever, I say, Moses' God is my God. That's my God. That's the same God that I serve. When I see how God provided for Elijah by bringing him bread from the ravens for breakfast and for, for, for dinner, I say, that's the same God. Elijah's God is my God. And he can provide for me any which way he wants. But I know that God will provide 
for my needs. In conclusion today, let me encourage you all. Let's encourage all of us here today. Let us increase in this area of generosity. Wherever we're at, let's increase in our generosity towards the kingdom of God and towards one another. In the Bible, there's a principle of tithing. That's the principle of giving to God 10% of our increase. And we see that principle both in the Old Testament. We see that principle even before Mosaic Law is instituted as Abraham tithe. We see that principle in the New Testament. The principle runs all throughout the Bible. And I think that's a good baseline for giving, to give to the Lord a 10% of our increase. The principle of tithing, if, if you're not a tither, if you're not someone who's, who's reached that point in your life of generosity, make that a goal for yourself. That, I think that's your first step. That's your first goal on this pathway of, of being generous. There's only one way to be generous. It's by being generous. It's by giving. It's by giving sacrificially. And so we have to start. If you say, I want to increase in this area of generosity, it starts by giving. And I believe the first goal, the first roadmark on the pathway to generosity is to be and to put into your life this principle of tithing. If you're already there, you're already a tither, let me encourage you to, to pick up supporting one of our missionaries monthly. Pray about who that should be. Let the Lord lead you. Or maybe you want to support a different missionary every month. That's fine too, but let's pick up and, and let's be like the Philippians that we're entering into partnership in the gospel with missionaries that we have all around the world. If you're already doing that, man, ask God for more opportunities to meet the needs of people even within our congregation and beyond. But being generous, growing in sacrificial generosity is part of our sanctification it's part of us being more like Christ. It's part of how God makes us more like him. Let me encourage you also to budget for generosity, to make a plan to be generous, to, to set aside resources to be generous. Don't just wait around and say, well, if there's anything left, maybe I'll do this. No, make a plan, be sacrificial, decide Instead of doing this, we're going to be generous. We're going to give. We're going to bless others. Heather and I, when we do our budget, every month at the very top of our budget, before anything else, is our generosity, is our giving. We want to make sure that that's a priority in our lives. And I would encourage you to do the same. Budget for generosity. Make a plan to be generous. And then ask God to give you opportunities to use the resources he's given you to be generous. You know, it's not about the amount. It's about the heart. It's about the heart. It really is about the heart. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our generosity is in response to God's generosity to us. How many of you would say your testimony is that God has been very generous with you? Amen. Amen. He has been sacrificially generous. The greatest gift he's given us is the gift of salvation in Christ. 
He has blessed us with eternal destiny and a future with Him, forgiveness of sins. Generosity beyond what we can imagine, sacrificially generous. It's a good thing that God is not stingy. Otherwise, we'd all be in a whole heap of trouble. But God is sacrificially generous. Jesus laid down his life to redeem ours. Any ounce of generosity that we have towards the kingdom, towards God, towards anyone else is only, must be, should be a response to his generosity in our lives. As we give back to him a portion of what he has given and entrusted to us. You know, in Matthew 18, there's a story of a man who was in great debt. He owed a king millions of dollars. The king brought him before him and said, it's time to pay your debt. And he said, I can't pay my debt. And he began to weep and to cry and to beg for mercy. The king was generous and moved in his heart, and so he forgave the man his debt. But immediately after walking out forgiven, this man found somebody in the street who owed him $20. And though he had just been forgiven of millions of dollars, he turns to this man and demands that this man repay him his $20. The king finds out about that and ends up saying, hey, FYI, no, you're unforgiven. (laughs) You're going into jail. You're going to learn a lesson. And Jesus says, likewise, God is the same with us. We have received so much from God. Everything we have is from God. Everything we have. We live in God's world. This is God's planet. Everything we've ever eaten belongs to God. Every every home we've ever stayed in belongs to God. This is God's world. We belong to God. Everything good we've ever experienced is a gift from him. And on top of all of that, he gives us salvation through his son, Jesus. He has given us so much. It is wrong for us. It is sinful of us who have received so much to turn around and be so stingy. To turn around and not be generous with what God has given us. And so let us follow in the example of the Philippians. Let us be a blessing. Let us be sacrificially generous in our church, in our relationships, and in the ministries that we support, knowing that when we do, it produces joy, it bears good fruit, and it produces God's blessing in our life. Amen? Amen. I encourage you to stand this morning as we prepare for a time of communion. Remembering, recalling the greatest sacrifice, that of the, of the Lord Jesus laying down his life for us. So it's in response to this sacrifice that we can ourselves make sacrifices and be generous. It's out of the overflow of his generosity towards us. So Father, we thank you. For your word, we thank you for the book of Philippians. Lord, we pray that you would help all of us to increase, to grow in our generosity. Lord, not comparing ourselves with one another, but just taking our next step, that step of faith, knowing, Lord, that when we do, it will produce joy, it will bear good fruit, 
and that we will see your blessing in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.